can you hear me okay yes i can hear you hi how are you great and yourself there i'm good thank you well we were connected by the wonderful folks at hp first and foremost when did you find out that you would be working with them on the girls save the world campaign um just over the last month or two i found out and i'm so excited to be working with hp i think it's awesome what they're doing super excited to be a part of the girls save the world campaign um, and I just think it's great because it, it's teaching young girls, you know, from, from when they're only starting at 13 years old, that they have a lot of potential and they can change the world. Sure. Uh, MIT is one of the great partners. Who else is on board for this campaign? Um, yeah, it's HP, MIT. Um, and then for the people, the 10 finalists that win the prize, um, they're going to be able to have access to um, a bunch of mentors. So the mentors are from HP, MIT Solve, um, Lonely Whale, Girl Rising, and a bunch of different other, a bunch of other places as well. Wow. Okay. And I understand, uh, I don't know the answer to this, that there's sustainability and environmentalism involved in the overall campaign in your work with HP? Yes. So um, it's really cool. It's basically Anybody, any girls that are between the ages of 13 and 18, they just have to go to solve.mit.edu and look up Girls Save the World, and then they can find all the information. Um, but the really cool part is there are going to be 10 finalists, and they can um, win up to $50,000 to fund their idea to help the environment. So um, it's going to be a, a lot of it is just about girls getting together, young girls working together, coming up with ideas together and making them happen. Got it. Well, I am sure I'm like most people. I first found out about you through iCarly. And when that show started or premiered around 2007, the funny or interesting part about it is how technology was integrated into that show. And what you were doing on the show is sort of like a a host to a web series or a talk show kind of thing. At the time, we were like, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's way in the future. And you were possibly the first YouTuber. How do you feel about looking back at it, how the technology you're portraying basically became the norm? It kind of shocked. It really shocks me, to be honest, because when I was 13 and I heard the idea for the show, I remember thinking, what's a web show? And are people like, I didn't really know what that was. And now it's like every single person on earth has a show or a YouTube channel or some idea, an Instagram. So um, it's kind of crazy that it ended up coming true. Yeah, you basically were one of the first podcasters that people became aware of. Did that lead to people ultimately offering you legitimate real podcasts? And pardon me if you did have one and I'm out of the loop. No, I've never had a podcast before, um, but we've talked about in the new version of iCarly, Carly maybe having a podcast. Um, we've talked about that a lot this season, so that might happen on the show finally, but, um, but no, I've never had a podcast. That'd be fun. 
Got it. Well, you just mentioned it. iCarly is coming back and you're not only starring, but producing. You're heavily involved with that show. We recently saw you in the film North Hollywood, which had another one of my favorite actors, Thomas Barbuska. Anything he does, he's excellent in per se. Am I missing anything or is this work with HP, iCarly, movie roles? That's enough. Um, no, you're not missing anything. I just, I love fostering animals and I have like six animals currently. Um, that's what takes up a lot of my, my time. Um, and I just think animals are the best. And I feel like that's kind of what led me into like getting into trying to help the environment. Um, just working with animals and, and I work with Oceana, which, um, that's been really amazing getting to work with them. Um, I got to go to the Bahamas and swim with wild dolphins and learn about seismic blasting, which got me really into marine conservation. So um, that's kind of what made me even more excited to be working with HP. Is music entirely in your past or are you singing the theme song to the new iCarly? Um, so the theme song to the new iCarly is actually the original theme song to the show. Um, we talked a lot about me re-recording that song or just recording a new song, but in the end, I pushed really hard for just keeping the original because I love to sing and I still sing and play guitar and stuff. But um, I just thought that people would be the happiest hearing the old song because it reminds people of their childhoods. It's kind of nostalgic. Good call. Wow. OK, well, away from promoting HP and these great new projects of yours, you personally, do you have a TV recommendation you could pass along to somebody who needs a new show besides the new iCarly? Well, this is no secret to anyone, but I love Squid Games. I, everyone's already watched that, but I, um, I thought that it was amazing. Um, I watched it so fast. I watched it in like two or three days. It was really good. And do you have any musical recommendations that you could pass along a new artist or song that you're especially into these days? Ooh, um, I like Tate McRae. I've been listening to her music a lot. Um, and yeah, I would say any of her songs. She has a bunch of really, really good songs. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Tate, doing big things, doing big things. Well, uh, my last question for you, what do you look at at this point in time as somebody who's been around television and film for pretty much two decades, more of your life than not? What do you look at as your biggest career accomplishment? Ooh, um, biggest accomplishment. Um, it's funny, but I would say, um, the thing that I'm probably the most proud of that I've ever done is um, like the first thing I ever did, which was the movie School of Rock. Um, just because I had such a fun experience making that movie, it really made me fall in love with acting um, and probably is why I'm still doing it now. Um, and I think that movie brought a lot of people happiness and made people laugh. So that was really fun to get to be a part of. That film still holds up. It still is funny all these years later. And when you were casting that film, did you get to do research into hard rock bands? Did they go, hey, Miranda, here's the whole Van Halen discography. Listen to it or not even needed. No, they it's funny, though, because I was one of the only people in that movie that didn't have musical talent. Like in the movie, I'm the band manager and everybody yes. else in the movie, they were all asked because they're so awesome at really playing the instruments that they played. So um, 
it did inspire me to take guitar lessons. As soon as we, we finished filming the movie, I was like, I want to be like all of them and like be able to sing or like play guitar. So um, I got into to playing guitar after. Cool. Good to know. Well, thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to whatever is coming next from you in the near future. And, you know, wonderful that you're doing this great work with HP and the team. Thanks so much. Thanks for talking to me. Have a good rest of your day. Hi, how's it going there? Going well. Is everything? Yeah, everything's right on my side. Cool. Thumbs up. I appreciate you taking the time. Busy, busy human being right here, especially when you have an album coming out in a couple of weeks. When did you actually finish it? Uh, July. Really? Really? Yeah. So it was mastered the whole time or was recorded and you were waiting on uh, the mastering and the artwork? Yeah, it was finished recording in July. I mean, it takes like what? Like within a couple of weeks, it's mastered and the artwork was something I delayed, but we got it back pretty quick. I think everything was like done and ready to ship in like early October. And we are, of course, talking about Frozen in Time. Was it an easy album to make aside from the state of the world? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it kind of was. Are we jumping right into it? Am I late? No. I, hey, I... I Is I, this small talk? <laughs> no, I was genuinely curious about your album oh, okay. and all that. If, 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 yeah. uh, if you needed more of like a runway, we could do that. But I figured, hey, I'm talking to an interesting, interesting person here. Why not cut straight into it? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, frozen in time. It uh, it was pretty smooth, all in all. I think uh, three of the songs, which were the singles, were recorded on a separate individual session, and then the other seven songs are just recorded in one week. And that's it's kind of which is pretty fast, honestly. Yeah. Uh, when was Deadbeat Boulevard recorded with relation to the rest of the, the tracks that are going to be on the album that we are going to get to hear in a couple of weeks? Uh, actually, actually, Deadbeat falls into that week. I think we recorded those. We did a lot of prep work instrumentally beforehand, but eight uh, in that week, we recorded the eight songs with Deadbeat Boulevard included. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, we pretty much had a lot of the instrumentals done before that, just like through like uh, remote collaboration mm -hmm. and then whenever we came into the studio to record it it was uh, we recorded all the vocals for the eight tracks we recorded some auxiliary instruments like we have a fiddle on one track and we have another song called waiting for your call that we kind of just forgot about and then we had to construct it last minute from the ground up and it turned out to be one of my favorites which is really cool when you record, do you do the traditional old school thing of drums and bass first and then layering everything on? Um, more or less, yeah, because I, I usually like to make my own um, pre-structured demos. And then so whenever we come into the studio, we just show them to the drummer. and We're like this. Right. And then they kind of take their own creative liberties with it. It's always better than expected. And yeah, so we just do drum bass and then just build on top of it. But we always have something like just a scratch track for them to listen to. But essentially the demo is there to guide, like the demo is not that far yeah. off from the finished product? Uh, in polish it is, <laughs> but uh, the structure typically stays more or less the same. Got it. Mm -hmm. Tour touring plans. Do you know what's coming up? Are you allowed to say what's coming up? I don't know if I'm allowed to. But 
I want to. <laughs> We've talked about it. And I I would say like if we do, it would probably have to be like late next year or early 23. But it's I want to. And I think that's the driving force that would <laughs> get someone to tour. Yeah. You yeah. you are a unique scenario in that a lot of artists don't really have that connection with the online fan base. So they can do yeah. live streams per se, but who's really logging on to see the live streams? Seeing the mm -hmm. organic fan base that you've built over the past few years, yeah. it's the weird kind of thing where you could technically accomplish what most artists do on tour through live streams. Or do you think I'm totally yeah. wrong with that? Yeah, it's it's also cool because um, since um, my my second job essentially of of Alpharad of my whole YouTube career, um, it, there's such a large passionate fan base right there, and it's how do you activate them to go to Ace of Hearts stuff and whatever the tour would be because like a lot of YouTubers go on tour and do shows like that. I would probably do like some kind of split tours if they're two separate people do some Ace of Hearts stuff, do some Alpharet stuff. And then I think that just cross promotes both of the things I do. Yeah, that makes sense to me, at least. At least it yeah. does to me. But the underlying question I have to all that is, where did the music start versus the YouTube? In other words, were you yeah. always making music and then you realize, well, this is my day job, I got to do this? Or did that actually come in the midst of your online success? Um. It's it is funny because there is like this trope of YouTubers going into music, and I hate that it looks like I did the same. <laughs> but uh, I I've done music my whole life. Really, I started playing piano in like first grade, guitar, like our drums in third, guitar, bass in sixth. Like it's like I have this this history, and I would buy weird instruments just to learn them, but um I, I don't know i've just done music my whole life so whenever youtube started kicking off i got very busy in in work mode and for about like four years i didn't really do much music at all mm -hmm. and it's just because i was busy i put like my entire life into alpharad stuff and i think i reached a point where it just wasn't fulfilling it's fun i love it of course but it's just like if that's the only yeah. thing in your life you have going for you right now you need to take a step back so i just i've always had my like little keyboard chilling in my living room despite that so i just started playing a little bit turned into a lot of it turned into i think i want to write music again so then uh i think i wrote the first song for ace of hearts in um march of 2019 so not even that long ago really mm -hmm. um but yeah uh, that was the first song fool for you was the first song i wrote for ace of hearts and uh yeah that's pretty much it hmm. you bring up a few interesting points right there about how even if you love your day job it eventually does find a way to feel like a day job per se but before that, you mentioned piano first in the first grade yeah. right there. Did you start piano lessons because a parent went, you're doing this? Yeah, it's a parent there... thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't you heard Billy Joel for the first time and you wanted to no. take piano lessons? Guitar was a me thing, though. Like, I think guitar is my main instrument. And 
it's it all happened like i was like that just seems cool i want to do that so it, there wasn't any like huge stories to that one but um i think the yeah, i don't know i just have like a lot of opinions on just like pursuing art full-time because mm -hmm. that's like youtube you know it's not the mona lisa but <laughs> i'm i'm making a lot of videos that i feel passionate about as silly as they might be but i just think like no matter how passionate you are like i think putting 100 of yourself into any form of art is so dangerous and that's the bias speaking from my own experience just because like my entire mental was determined on how well is this stuff doing and that was destructive so that's why i started like branching out into music into like film into other things just so i was like mm -hmm. i have something else and also I developed a social life, which was something that's probably very crucial in all of that too. It's much easier to maintain your friendships doing well than to say, is this YouTube video doing well? It's too many variables in oh, that. Totally. Yeah. I think that what you're doing makes sense. Not that you need my validation, but it makes <laughs> sense that if you look at some of the biggest musical artists or any field, they yeah. generally have a side project, a pet project. Yeah, Sometimes it's under alias, Sometimes, in, like, for example, Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones, the drummer who passed away a couple mm -hmm. months ago, you would every now and then see him do a jazz club tour. And so, yeah. you know, the guy who's normally playing to 20, 30,000 people a night, he wanted to play to 200 people and he set up his own drums. And mm -hmm. you see members of Journey, you know, the biggest yeah. business they've ever done, they have side projects. They want to play like jazz and blues kind of gigs. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that you're diversified from the creative standpoint but what was the guitar cause what 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 was the song or the album or artist that made you want to pick up guitar Ooh, that's a good question i think it's funny because this is like my one of my favorite songs to play now mm -hmm. but i i think it was genuinely just like uh Eric Johnson, Cliff of, Do Cliff of Dover. Wow. Because I just heard that song and I was like, is that a guitar? I was like, guitar can make that noise. It's just a beautiful swingy stream of notes and it just flows together so perfectly. And, you know, I mean, you don't pick up a guitar and start playing Cliff of Dover by any metric, no. but I definitely, I think that was the song that was like, I want to learn how to do that. Most people I say, what was the band? What was the artist? It tends to be either Green Day or yeah. Weezer, even if that has nothing to do with their output. Yeah. Or, yeah. I wouldn't say I'm making Cliffs of Dover by any means, but no, I've I've had the pleasure of interviewing Eric Johnson, and it's pretty wow. inspiring that he is himself. He didn't chase hits and he gets to have yeah. that big fan base. So it's not yeah. arenas, but it's, it's really nice theaters that he gets to do the rest mm -hmm. of his life. Yeah. That's incredible. Not a lot of people. Can you say they never had to chase a and R trends in your case? Now, mm -hmm. what goes viral for a YouTube video, the metrics are totally different than a song. Like for example, yeah. if your song gets 150,000 streams, you might go cool. And then if your video gets 150,000, you go, oh, no, am I over? Is this, is, yeah, yeah, is, that's, that's, 
that can be tanking. It's all about perspective, really, because some people would 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 die to have those views at the same time. So um, in, in that case, do you have to apply any A&R or any commercial views to what you're doing as a musician? Or is this just your creative output and that's that? Uh, it's I'm kind of torn at a crossroads, right? Because it's a creative output, but I'm so passionate about music where if the time ever came where financial questions were an option, I would probably pursue music full time if I could. Um, which it's fun balancing it between Alpharet stuff and Ace of Hearts stuff. And it's nice to have those two different projects. And also they feel more like characters at this point because um, I, th I think they're all portrayed differently. And I don't, I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting because I think me, Jacob, is very separated as a personality from, from my art. Mm -hmm. So like... Um, Alpha Ride is, is just like a, a very like, you know, it's it's a com not competitive gamer energy, but it's more like it's a little more arrogant, likes to trash talk, a little cocky, too fly too close to the sun type of energy. Um, and then I I think like the ace side of it is just much more, much more closer to home. It's just much more expressive, passionate and just artistic and just wants to talk about it. Whereas I think me as a person is very uh, to myself, like most people, which I think goes against the being loud, bombastic, arrogant. And then I, I don't know. I don't really like to show things off outside of like close friends. So right. I think I had to create like these other characters more. So, uh, so to speak, just to like feel comfortable doing it. It's, that's kind of how I have to rationalize it. It's acting. That, that's not far off from any yeah. songwriter or comedian that I can think of. Sure, no, of you have not. your occasional loudmouth comedian mm -hmm. off the stage, but generally who they are on the stage has nothing to do with who they are in real yeah. life. Yeah, they're typically very introspective or not introspective, introverted, I feel. Yeah, so yeah. that's a lot to do to have two <laughs> online personas and musical endeavors per se so i just get the impression that you're you know if there's 24 hours in the day presumably you're sleeping somewhere in the five to seven hour range yeah. per se but you're creating and you're being creative much more of the day than not it's it's nice when that's true uh, <laughs> i would say typically typically it is i i don't know i'm just i'm just happy with that i'm just happy to create because We've been working on a pretty big project lately for, for Ace of Hearts, Frozen in Time. Um, we are, like, I wanted to make a music video for it, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I don't, because my biggest dilemma is how do I get this visual audience from Alpharad over to listen to this audio form of music? And the, I kept thinking, and I was like, the best way is to give them something visual. Mm -hmm. So um, naturally, you would say, let's make a music video. But I get a little in over my head with these kind of projects. And we made a like a 45-minute visual album with it. So 10 music videos pretty much back to back. Mm -hmm. And we're all releasing that with the same day of the album. But that's been like, an eight day shoot that I've done for like the past couple of weeks. 
Was yes. that concept at all inspired by that Daft Punk album where the whole thing was anime oriented, where it was actually a whole story? Or yeah, it was inspired you? by a lot of things. I think, um, yes to that. I think Beyonce is great with She Does. And then I think like other songs that have always inspired me, the last track on it is my absolute favorite thing I've ever created. It's called A Life Frozen in Time. And it's inspired by like your Jesus of Suburbia, your Bohemian Rhapsody, where it's just like, these are like three to five different songs jam-packed together. And it's just seven and a half minutes in like three different acts. And I was like, if we don't have enough time to make a visual album, everything can be summarized in this song because it's just long. But uh, we managed to, to sneak it all in anyways. Well, as long as the publishing splits make sense. Yeah. <laughs> there there you go so the last thing that i'm super curious about because you've been very forthcoming and honest you kind of give me like 45 minutes of information in about 17 unlike what i do people, <laughs> in the best of ways yeah uh, thank you <laughs> uh random thing because you mentioned eric johnson being an influence so obviously you like a little prog in what you do whether or not that's yeah. the end result were you a van halen guy at all uh, my dad was a Van Halen guy and he was pretty much the one who get, wanted me to get into guitar. So like whenever I learned, he was like, he wanted me to play Judas Priest. He wanted to play Van Halen. So I definitely got into them through him. Okay. So when you mentioned Green Day, because you yeah. mentioned Jesus of Suburbia, Queen, mm -hmm. Eric Johnson, I hear more in your music. I hear more maybe Ben Folds and or Death Camp yeah. Beauty. So it sounds like maybe there's music on 24-7 in your place when you're working. <laughs> yeah, I'd say like my favorite artists, I think uh, I would just definitely say Mika. Mika is probably like my favorite artist and has been for a long time. I really like Wallows. I like Queen. Um, I like Green Day a lot. We I like Ben Folds. So like you're, you're nailing, it, nailing on the head. I think a lot of the music that I do is closer to like, as you said, Ben Folds, um, uh, Death Cab and like The Cure a little bit. And oh. I, I think because this album comes on in like a couple of weeks, right? So mm -hmm. given that it was finished in July, most of the album two is written already. And it's really interesting how stylistically how different it is because my tastes have evolved so much because I would say like over the past few years, I got more and more into like the strokes, black keys, um, that whole genre. So I think a lot of those styles are more evident in it. And it's just like the sudden shift when I swap between the demos of album two and album one. Hmm. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> That'll be interesting to hear. I'm a big Strokes fan. I had the pleasure of interviewing Albert Hammond Jr. a couple of weeks ago, and his new project at the moment is a canned wine called Jetway. Yeah. Will we ever see something like that from you, or you're staying out of the hard seltzer game? I, I mean, the thing is, I could do anything. <laughs> like, not if not through Ace of Hearts, through Alfred, I feel like it's just anything that sounds fun, we can just do. And we've done worse and dumber <laughs> stuff. And we will do, we'll move that goalpost constantly. 
Well said, Jacob. Thank you so much for your time. Hope to see you live in New York if and when the time for that comes. And yeah. looking forward to that second album. That'll be interesting to hear with the garage rock influences. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to meet you, Darren. Likewise, uh, likewise. For, for the record, is it La France or La France? Are you classy? Uh, La France is, I mean, because La France is like, you know, I'm a Franco Manitobain from... Uh, from Manitoba, Central Canada. So I, I, La France or La France, either way, or La France. From from Manitoba, do you have the Order of the Buffalo Head honor yet bestowed <laughs> on you? No, I don't. But I've been. I I still have a lot of family there. Yeah. So uh, uh, oh, there's our Zoom meeting. Uh, uh, I have a lot of family. You know, I got like five sisters and a brother, and uh, you know. I think there's almost a hundred. Of course, my my parents passed away a long time ago. But whenever I go back to do shows, it's like, you know, I'm over a hundred people. These little, these little great great uh, nephews and nieces come up, and my name is Uncle Mark. Right? <laughs> it's quite entertaining. Plat- multi-platinum Uncle Mark. Uh- <laughs> Outrocast.